it's just an ever-growing project and i keep being amazed actually by how much more there's always to do it's not like we'll ever finish the project it just keeps going and going and people keep using it more and more this is contributor a podcast telling the stories behind the best open source projects and the communities that make them i'm eric anderson We are live today with Travis Nielsen, uh, who comes to us by way of Red Hat and is the creator of Rook and works on the Ceph team there at Red Hat. Travis, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, hi, Eric. Great to be with you. Good to be on the show. This is our one of our first fan mail introductions. So we have a common acquaintance who is a user of Rook and at a big American corporate company that I was talking to recently, and they they requested that we get the story of Rook from Travis himself on Contributor. So uh, thanks for obliging, Travis. So as we always do, let's level set with the group and our listeners and explain to us what Rook is. And I imagine you may have to cover a bit of Ceph. And then we'll start there. Okay. So the first question I always like to ask is, well, what is about storage anyway? Who needs storage? Why is storage so important? So when I talk about this, I'm talking about for Kubernetes deployments. So Kubernetes being that basic distributed platform for deploying your applications in the cloud or on-prem, wherever you have Kubernetes running, the question is, well, what do I do for storage, right? And Rook Rook is all about bringing storage to Kubernetes. So storage, I mean, if you're running in a cloud provider, so you're up in AWS, you're in Google Cloud, Azure, wherever, in those clouds, they provide storage for you. They've got EBS and all sorts of storage solutions. Now, if you go into your own data center, you don't have all of these nice cloud services that are so conveniently available and dynamic and all that. So you have to provision your own bare metal servers or VMs, but you can't just say attach this disk and that's all you need. Like you need the storage to be durable and suffer outages of nodes or even data centers right? You, you want your storage to be durable. So storage is not something that's deployed with Kubernetes, but it's something that's traditionally kind of this external plugin. You go buy an appliance and you connect your cluster to it. You go, or if you're in the cloud, again, you connect to that cloud provider storage. So why does it have to be that way? Why not manage the storage just like any other Kubernetes application? But you want to do it on a time-tested platform that you can trust, right? You don't want to just, somebody to just build a new data platform because you probably shouldn't trust your data with a new platform that's just come out. And maybe you'll get into this, Travis, but the original Kubernetes vision, if I remember correctly, was kind of stateless by design. That was like, we're going to ignore storage and that gives us horizontal scalability and all, and all these benefits. And And so maybe that's part of the reason that here we are years into Kubernetes and still haven't really solved storage. Yeah, exactly. Kubernetes was designed for stateless applications because of all those things you mentioned. And the reason is storage is a really hard problem. And the second you start running all your stateless applications, well, you can't run very long or very interesting applications that are actually stateless. You need state. You need to store your your data somewhere. So with Rook then, in the early days we set out, we said, hey, we need to make storage natively available to your Kubernetes cluster. It should look like any other Kubernetes application. And 
it can run alongside all of your your applications. We still want to consume it just like any other storage with the CSI plugins. That's the way you plug in your storage. But that storage doesn't need to be external to Kubernetes is the point. It can be inside the same cluster. But in order to accomplish that now, we really need automated management, which means, okay, the way you automate things in Kubernetes is you have a Kubernetes operator, and then you have CRDs that define the state for the application. So fundamentally, that's how something becomes Kubernetes native, is if it's deployed automatically, but you can also tell Kubernetes how to deploy it with this desired state. I guess we call it with the CRDs. CRDs short for custom resource definitions. And they really just define sort of the schema for the settings you need to apply for whatever application. And specifically, an operator is this pod that's running this automation that looks at those settings in the CRDs and then goes and applies those settings to make it happen. Okay, this is the configuration for the deployment. That's right. So when you create an application in Kubernetes, you're telling it, hey, go create this resource, create this pod, create this service. And you do it very declaratively. So the CRDs let you declare some other type of application. So for Rook, we have these CRDs where you tell Kubernetes, hey, create these things. And that's how you start Rook in this declarative way. And then Rook automates going and applying that configuration to your cluster. It manages upgrades. It manages a lot of the complexities of storage that people just don't want to think about. Well, it's really complicated, so they shouldn't have to think about it. So then the last bullet there, ultimately, I mean, we looked at Ceph as a stable data platform. We said, hey, Ceph's been around for a long time. It's been in production for Oh, since since what year? Around 2012, I think. Going on 10 years in production now. And it provides this data platform we need. And we said, okay, let's bring Ceph into Kubernetes. Let's deploy Ceph as a Kubernetes application, run the Ceph daemons as pods, create all the other resources we need. And... Ceph, so Ceph plus Kubernetes equals Rook. That's how I like to say it. We're managing storage for Kubernetes. When I think of Kubernetes, I imagine, I think about the ability to survive failure. You know, you can lose nodes and the application lives on, spawns new nodes as necessary, or, or I don't know if that's the right, if I'm using the right nouns, but we'll spawn new instances. And how, how does that work with storage? Because I'm kind of imagining that is the storage kind of getting tossed around in order to ensure that it's always going to exist? in the event of, of a instance failure? Yeah, exactly. If you're gonna design storage for Kubernetes, that means it has to be fault tolerant. If a node goes down or you lose a node, your data is still safe in the cluster because there are multiple replicas of the data or it's erasure coded, which means it's broken up into pieces and has redundancy built in. But yeah, ultimately you can lose nodes, you can lose individual disks and Ceph and Rook know how to go repair that and make sure it stays safe. So you bring up a new node, you bring up new disks, and Rook and Ceph recover. So we declared Rook stable with Ceph 
back in December 2018. So going on our third year here, there's many people running it in production. Because it is open source, I don't even really know how many people or exactly what scenarios. But there are a lot, it surprised me how many people out there are running Rook clusters with hundreds of nodes, multiple petabytes of data. And yeah, I'm just excited how often I get to hear about people running it in production. I like to make sure I leave bugs in my open source so that my users will reach. It's, it's kind of like an analytics measure. They'll reach out, let me know they're using it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Most people only reach out when there's a problem, right? That's so right. Gotta, exactly. Yeah. There are definitely always bugs to go find and everybody helps find them. That's yeah, so a little bit more about Ceph, what Ceph is as a data platform. So Ceph provides the three basic different kinds of storage. So you've got block storage, which means generally used as a read-write-once volume in Kubernetes. Just one pod attached to a single volume. There's the shared file system or read-write-many, which might be shared by many pods. And then there's the object storage or an S3 endpoint that Ceph can provide. And yeah, so Ceph provides the data layer for all of these and underneath the covers stores them all in a consistent format in what we call the OSDs in Ceph, the object storage demons. But yeah, that's what we liked about Ceph. One platform for all these three types of storage. We are a CNCF graduated project now. I think we'll talk more about that later. And it's exciting to see all the GitHub stars and downloads from Docker Hub and how many people contributing. I've always wondered where those downloads come from. Like, wow, who's actually downloading this thing millions of times? <laughs> it's a lot of Docker pulls. Maybe you're in a test suite somewhere. Yeah. I know there is a lot of CI use case to pull this, but as a project in Rook, we really do like to put community first. I mean, that's everybody that works on it. We want to hear from the community. You know, what features do people want? What bugs are they seeing? We want to go fix them and get releases out regularly so that people can keep it running in production and have a, you know, a stable storage solution. It is open source with Apache 2.0 license. And oh, we do quarterly releases with regular patch releases. Currently, we've got maintainers from four companies. So Cloudicle, Cybosu, Red Hat, and Upend. So we, just to get back to the question of where Rook runs, so it really is wherever Kubernetes is deployed, that's where Rook can manage storage with Ceph. Okay, so if you're running in your own data center with bare metal or VMs, Rook can consume raw devices or local PVs in that environment. Or if you're running in the cloud, Rook can actually consume cloud provider PVs in order to overcome limitations of the cloud provider storage. Like I think the cloud providers have limitations of like 32 volumes per node, things like that. But Ceph doesn't have any of that limit. You can have hundreds or thousands of, of PVs in your cluster, no matter how small or large, you can get the same performance characteristics too that come from the underlying PVs in the cloud provider. So that that's the environments in a nutshell. Rook is the management layer for Ceph. And then the CSI driver is what actually provisions and then mounts the storage to the application pods. And finally, Ceph actually provides the data layer. So anytime you're reading and writing data from your application, it goes straight to Ceph, and Rook is out of the picture at that point. Rook is just managing the higher level in order to get Ceph going 
But ultimately, Ceph is this stable data layer. Good. Well, so Travis, help us now that we know what Rook is and we're reminded of Ceph. How did this come to be? We, we talked a little about the motivation. Did you personally run into some of these needs? All right. So where did this start? Maybe I'll go way back. Tell me if it's too far. But yeah, it's <laughs> go way back. It's a lot of fun history here, as I was thinking today. So the you know, back in like 2004, I was a lot earlier in my career. I started at Microsoft Seattle. I was on the team with with a couple of guys, Basam and Jared, were their names, and we were on the Windows Server team. So we we dealt some with storage. That wasn't my primary focus, but anyway, Windows Server and server environments was was what I worked on. Well, over time, so 2011, then I left Microsoft and went and joined a startup doing storage that Basam had gone and started and Jared had gone with him as well a couple of years before I got there. I joined that, it was, that startup was called Simform. You probably never heard of it, but it was kind of a peer-to-peer storage solution across the internet, which was really cool architecturally. And so worked on that for a while. Then in 2014, uh, we, we acquired Fox Corporation. So Jared, Basam, and I were still there. And and at Quantum, we, we were really part of the architecture team to kind of plan, well, what's next with storage? What should the company take a bet on for storage? And so then as we were researching it, that's where we started looking at Ceph really closely and saying, okay, we really see Ceph as a good solid foundation. Let's go start prototyping, working with it. And and Basam was the, he's the head architect, the the head thinker. <laughs> so <laughs> and, yeah, and, and Jared and I, anyway, we're, we're right there with him, but I have to give credit to Basam for coming up with, with all the big ideas. So we, we started to put together this project with Ceph and we thought, well, how can we deploy Ceph for cloud-native environments. Kubernetes was just really young at that point, not a big thing. So we thought we were trying to build something even independent from Kubernetes. We built it on etcd. And it was really turning into a nightmare trying to manage our own platform on etcd, a distributed storage application, which was a lot of fun. But at some point we realized, okay, Kubernetes really does have the support we need as a storage application to to run the storage. We decided to open source Rook after we created it in 2016. And then we went to KubeCon. I think that was our first conference we really went to. It was KubeCon Seattle in November 2016. Wow, that long ago already. And only a thousand people were there. Now KubeCon's like 12,000, 12, however many people. And at that conference, we learned about operators and CRDs. It was a, basically a new concept. Well, they weren't called, called CRDs back then, but this new concept coming out. And we thought, oh, well, that's what we need to do for Ceph. We need to build an operator and just make it work natively with Kubernetes. And then, so a few months later, in our 0.3 release, early 2017, we Rook was really born at that point. Before that, it was just a nice idea, I think, or hadn't really found its place. But yeah, we really focused on Kubernetes at that point. And so Basam, Jared, and I were the, the primary creators of of this project. And remind us, you were at Red Hat this whole time, and Basam was at, he was at a startup, right? 
No, so let me clarify that. So I was not at Red Hat yet. Okay. And so we were at Quantum Corporation during this time of actually creating Rook and going and first open sourcing it and creating the operator and things. So we were still all on the same team at the same company there where we created Rook. And, and what, what was the aspirations for Rook? Certainly you had, this would be, this is worthy of your time. This would be a big deal. And and as you open source it, are you looking for new users? What was the goal or the the hope? And we really had a vision, again, back to Basam coming with the vision. It's like, okay, things that are open source really have a much better chance for succeeding because open source, you get community members coming, other people can contribute. People believe in it more because they can contribute and fix their own bugs even. And Ceph being open source underneath Rook as well, kind of built with that synergy. Open source, community first. We really wanted to have this community project or an upstream project then. And we we started also in parallel building a downstream product at Quantum that would be something where oh we ship you an appliance type of solution where you plug in the storage to Kubernetes and this product would help you even provide more UI and management on top of what Rook was providing and and be yeah this product around Rook. That product never came into fruition, but that was the goal of the initial thing. Like you've got an upstream project and then the downstream product that our company and other companies eventually create. Maybe just to round out the history, eventually you made your way to, to Red Hat. Right. So it was just over three years ago, 2018, where Rook was progressing, building community and all that. And then Quantum decided actually that funding was out for our project, kind of the future of storage for Quantum. So they they decided to cut our team. And and so we dispersed <laughs> that. So that event around February 2018 yeah, is where I took a look around and I said, hey, I really like this Rook project. The community has really picked it up. We had just barely donated it, finished that process to donate to CNCF. So CNCF officially had ownership of the project, which was good timing for us. And given our close relationship with Ceph and the bet we'd taken on Ceph, I thought, hey, I'm going to go talk to the Ceph team. And it worked out. I joined the Ceph team right after that to continue working on Rook full-time. And I saw that as an important step because we did feel like we were lacking a bit in having deep Ceph knowledge trying to deploy Rook and Ceph. Because we, we did things that we thought, but we didn't have any direct team members who really knew Ceph deeply. So around that same time, Red Hat and the Ceph team basically made a bet like, yeah, Rook, it looks like it's the right thing to do. And so we just kind of worked out timing wise. So I joined the team and we continued the project on the same team. Yeah, Red Hat saying that Rook is the right thing to do is not obvious in, in part because there's a few other kind of storage solutions out there in open source, if I recall. Yeah, there's the CNCF has storage projects in various stages of incubation and or sandbox and incubation too. And even at, at Red Hat, there were multiple storage solutions like with Gluster and Ceph. And you know, the Ceph team specifically had said they'd tried some things out with Helm charts and before they took the bet on Rook. And it's like, yeah, Helm just isn't quite dynamic enough for us. We need really need an operator and Rook is the operator. And yeah, at KubeCon Austin in 2017, right before all this 
went down where I joined Red Hat. That's when we kind of started discussions with them and were showing the Ceph team how great Rook would be for Ceph. And then I joined. And yeah, the other maintainers, so Jared and, and Basam, they decided to start another startup. They like the startup world a little more than me, I guess. And yeah, so they started Upbound at that point about three years ago. And that's where they, they still are. And they're still contributing to Rook. Well, Basam is officially an emeritus maintainer. He's busy with Upbound, but Jared is still contributing, participating in discussions and, and things. Still interested in making sure Rook continues and everything. So that's the relationship with Upbound. Yeah. We have Quantum in some ways to thank for the gift of Rook and you, Travis yeah. and Bassam and Jared and, and all of you to for, for shepherding it this far. Tell us about the decision to go into the CNCF and kind of the path within the CNCF. That seems to be an increasingly kind of common and important part of an open source project's lifecycle. Right. I think pretty early as we went to KubeCon and started down the path of the operator, we realized that, hey, the CNCF, it was a pretty new organization at that point, but it was kind of shepherding all these projects that were being built for Kubernetes. So it's like, well, we built this thing for Kubernetes. Let's go down that path. It gives more community adoption. The community has more confidence in these projects that are showing that they're following security best practices and running in production and have good open source practices and governance. And so we wanted to go down that path to really build the community and build the community's trust in the project. So we started, yeah, Sandbox was, uh, was a long time ago, like four years ago. And then incubation and graduation just happened last fall. That's where we finished all of the, the last things, crossed our T's and dotted our I's and got the sign off. And the significance there is is you get a bit more, it's signaling to the community that you've, you've kind of, you're at CNCF level quality of community development, governance, security, as you mentioned. Yeah, uh, I think it's a good testament to that the, that the CNCF board uh, believes, the TOC believes in the project. They see those good qualities in the project itself. And an important part of that, that lots of people are running it in production. There's proof of that and people were willing to give us their their testimonies or their their stories <laughs> that's the right thing so in some ways you've kind of arrived right i mean it's now your cncf graduated rook has a home with a whole community does your role change are you now kind of a cog in the community wheel or do you still have a kind of driving force in the vision that's a good question well it's like we graduated so what is next with the cncf and the community right I feel like that's just kind of a stamp of approval on this journey that we're already making and isn't going to change much anyway. We're providing storage that's uh, reliable for the community to build on. So we just keep adding features. Like Ceph keeps adding features, and then Rook needs to add or expose those features to Kubernetes through these DRDs, always fixing bugs. And there's always more features to add as people are expanding their usage, expanding the scenarios. It's just an ever-growing project. And I keep being amazed, actually, by how much more there's always to do. It's not like we'll ever finish the project. It just keeps going and going, and people keep using it more and more. And so when do we get to declare victory on on storage for Kubernetes? Is it now solved? I think for some time over the last few years, it's been kind of in limbo. 
where, where do you see it at today, Travis? Is it time for us to move all of our production databases to a Kubernetes-powered, Rook-powered storage solution? I'd love to see that, of course. That's my vision. <laughs> There's still so much more to do. There's always gaps. Like We're looking at next, for example, Windows clients coming into Kubernetes, right? So Ceph is looking at adding support for Windows clients and and things like that. So, but there there was a time when we debated whether Kubernetes should support stateful workloads, and that, that debate's over, right? We've kind of decided there's a place, if not an op, uh, a real opportunity for Kubernetes to shine in the capacity that, that Rook is running. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many different ways to run it too. Somebody can dedicate a whole the whole Kubernetes cluster to running the storage platform if they want and connect to it externally. They can run it alongside of their other applications in the same cluster. Yeah, there's just so many different ways to configure it that it's like, yeah, most scenarios are covered. It actually doesn't cover all scenarios because I'll just give you one. If a database must have data locality to a, a local disk, and it provides its own replication, or maybe it doesn't even want replication or data safety, right? It just wants highest possible throughput with no guarantees for data safety. Then that's not what Rook and Ceph are about. Like you just want to mount your local disk and if it dies, it dies. And that's the application's um, problem. But Ceph really gives you that durability and safe data safety. And that's the promise that people want. Earlier, you mentioned that um, Ceph also has these different modes of operation or, or, you know, you can do block, you can do file storage. You, you mentioned another. Are these also bubbled up in Rook? Uh, Rook is this kind of multimodal storage thing? That's right. Yeah. And it comes back to the these CRDs as well. You tell Rook, hey, go configure these storage layers with these CRDs and then Rook will enable the those storage layers that you want. So you don't have to run extra things that you're not using. For example, if you're not using the file system, then we won't start that service up. And so a database company or, or database offering might build on Rook, I presume, and and they might spend quite a bit of time tuning everything so that things work as you might expect coming from a traditional environment to this distributed Kubernetes one. Is that right? So you probably have pretty long engagements and people will take a heavy dependency on you. And, and so this is an ongoing relationship, I imagine, with some of your users. Yeah, and I'd say that close relationship is more of a, a downstream relationship that I'm not engaged in as much. So the upstream community really is about, you know, we answer questions about getting it going and, and people do have tuning questions, but I think if you really want to tune Ceph to get every bit out of it, that's that's not my area of expertise. Like there are Ceph experts who would get in there and, and Red Hat has a support team to help you go do that. So that's kind of more of a, that at that level, you'd get into downstream version of Ceph and Rook to let you tune it. Well, you can tune it if you can figure it out, but whether you can get to that layer level of tuning on your own, maybe some people can. And I don't hear a lot of chatter though, honestly, about needing to tune it for performance because people find that that it works pretty well out of the box if you get the right hardware behind it. And now tell us what it's like doing kind of corporate open source. You have the pleasure of, of doing open source on, on Quantum's dime and now on Red Hat's dime. 
And the Ceph team that you joined has been doing this for a decade, it sounds like. So you have even a certain amount of the feeling of job security here. Like you could keep doing this for quite a while. Yeah. So, yeah, I love open source. You know, when I was at Microsoft and earlier in my career, I'd, I didn't do open source. I just, it was proprietary. But so the open source way, when we started at Quantum, it was interesting because Quantum didn't have an open source philosophy. We kind of were leading the way for the company there. Mm-hmm. And so when I joined Red Hat, I got a completely different perspective on that because Red Hat's philosophy is fundamentally open source first, upstream community first, and then downstream products follow. So like in my day job now for Red Hat, I mean, my purpose or what I'm supposed to do is make sure the community stays happy with Rook, that upstream we're solid, we're fixing things, we're getting done what needs to get done. Like that is my official job to keep Rook doing. And I do spend some time on downstream discussions to say, oh, well, because yeah. we do have a product to Red Hat that we ship on top of Rook, but that's not really my, I mean, it's, I need to support that for my job, right? But it doesn't take majority of my time by any means. And yeah. Is that a separate person or group's responsibility? The productizing of Rook? Right. Yeah. There's a the productizing team, like there's the PM team and the QE to make sure it's good quality. Like, and that's one thing, one difference about the upstream versus the downstream product. I mean, upstream, we don't have a QE team that officially signs off on our releases. We make them the highest quality we can, and we trust our CI processes and automatic tests to make sure the quality stays there. But at the end of the day, we don't have a QE team that signs off upstream. And that's something downstream that that is there to make sure uh, things are solid. I guess that's what you're paying for. I feel like we have such... uh, reliable processes upstream after this long now so about five years having an iterate where yeah we really do have good success with with our releases i feel like and that quality that's fantastic as we wrap up here travis in the case that we have listeners who are excited about rook and want to get involved is there a place where the community hangs out yeah we have a a slack group for rook so go to slack.rook.io to join there on GitHub, you can find us at github.com slash rook. And of course, our website, rook.io. Good. Anything I didn't cover today we wanted to get get through? Oh, I just thought of one more thing. Like people, sometimes people ask, where does rook come from? Why does why do we have that name? Right? Right. Yeah. Tell us. <laughs> so, so it is kind of interesting. So back when we were at Quantum, we had a code name for our, our storage solution, which is called Castle. Because a castle is somewhere that is safe and you want to keep your data safe if you store it in a castle, right? So so data safety around castle and that so that's where it started. But then it turns out because of some copyright or or whatever, we couldn't use castle as a as the product name. So we thought, hmm, how can we use our same logo that looks like a castle? And so we came up with Rook. And Rook.io was available and it's a nice short word that people can pronounce and type and it's like hey that just worked perfectly so that's where rook comes from sometime we'll have to talk about how most open source logos are pretty lousy but you got a nice thing going on there at rook oh thanks the logo the name the website very good yeah we had a designer with the team he's at upbound now so if you look at upbound designs it's the same guy he creates good stuff yeah travis thanks for coming out today your contribution and basam and, and jared's to 
Rook is awesome, inspiring, and paves the way for a lot of future distributed stuff. Yeah, excited to be with you and talk a little bit about it, or maybe too much. I don't know. Find today's show notes and past episodes at contributor.fyi. Until next time, I'm Eric Anderson, and this has been Contributor. <laughs>